put them up on the screen. And you know sometimes when the preacher's preaching, he immediately references the text and away we go. And then sometimes you'll get somebody like tonight mentioning the verses, making a lot of comments, and you thinking, I forgot about the verses that I'm going to put up on the screen. Uh, but I will come back to them in a bit. But we'll read them. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. And if you've got a Bible, you might like to turn to them, whether that's paper version or electronically. But very well-known verses from a book in the New Testament, near the end of the New Testament, 1 and 2 Peter were written by, as the title suggests, the Apostle Peter. They were written to a persecuted church, a church that was scattered, the diaspora. It speaks about it in the beginning of chapter 1, a scattered community. And uh, the enemy often tries to do that for bad, but the upside of the first century spread of the good news message was that these people took the good news wherever they spread. I don't want you to think that in a 21st century context, the church does not face persecution, because around the world, friends, there are at least 70 nations of the earth where it can be dangerous to be a Christian, where there's some sort of repression, there's various scales of that, but the reality is today that people still put their life on the line for the faith. And Peter writes to this church, he writes to encourage them. He starts in chapter 1 talking about the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold. And he's to build the people up, to encourage them, to stir them, to persevere, to press in, to lean into God, to be all that he's called them to be. And here he speaks these wonderfully affirming words over them, which I'll come back to in a bit. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession, if you've got a really old Bible, a King James Version, it'll tell you that you're a peculiar people. Well, we'll try and sort of address that a little bit later, because it's not meaning peculiar, I mean we mean peculiar. But of God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his most wonderful light. You know that arena, we try and, thanks Lucy, you can put the uh, title heading up now. You know that in Arena we try and think very prayerfully about laying ministry to the church. And um, Christian just asked if we just address this subject. And I'm going to do it this week and then Paul's going to bring part two next week. And he'll bring his own sense of what God's saying through him to uh, the meeting. But I want to speak on a very, very important subject of identity. Identity. Which simply is defined as you... As a person. Now, there's a little phrase increasingly coming to the vocabulary of life um, called identity theft. I understand that it was first coined in the 60s, but has become much more prevalent in recent times as the electronic age has increasingly invaded our lives. People doing banking electronically, people doing their credit card payments electronically, people paying for their car insurance, and so it goes on. And it seems as though out of that, out of people operating millions and millions of transactions a day through cyberspace, the identity theft has increasingly become an issue. What is it? Well, it's simply where some person robs you of the person that you say that you are, and they operate in that person. They take away your identity, of course, often for unscrupulous means to access bank details, credit card accounts, on an, and on occasions even more sinister than that. It's fraud. Let me take you back to the Christmas Eve before last. Virgin bank.
ring me up. Hello, this is Jackie. Hello, Jackie. Have you just withdrawn £3,000 on your Virgin credit card account? No. I thought not. And what had happened through a, an unscrupulous questionnaire, somebody had got hold of my details and had taken my identity and was trying to take £3,000 off my credit card. I says, oh dear. She says, no, no, we get it all the time. And we've got a fully trained fraud squad in Virgin for things like this. We, we sensed it was wrong. We've given you a, a ring. We'll chase it down. And that 3000 will be reimbursed to your account. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it's Tesco this morning. It's Virgin tonight. They're all getting, a, a, you know, a good plug from the, from the platform. But somebody tried to pinch me for £3,000. And I say that not to frighten you, but to, for you to be aware. And if you still like to pay by the old-fashioned methods, you could understand why, you know. And um, it's fraud. And the reality is that fraud is, is seeking to take place in the spiritual realm. Because who you are intended to be in God is up for grabs. There is a battle raging to make you something that you weren't intended to be. Yeah, right. To rob you of what God has ordained you right. to be. Yeah. We need to see it for what it is. Yeah. And then increasingly take hold of what we've been taken hold of for. That's yeah. what Paul said in his yeah. prayer in Philippians 2. How does this identity theft come? Well, there's numbers of ways. We read this verse in another context this morning. Different message. John 10.10. 10. But the thief comes to steal. To kill. And to destroy. No sentiment. No, I like those people at Arena Mansfield. I'll leave them. He comes to steal. Friends, we're trying to make inroads. We're trying to join with the church in this town to bring something different of the kingdom. He contends for that. He seeks to steal and to kill and to destroy. There's another part to the verse, of course. But I am come. That you might have life in all of its fullness. A taste of the life to come now on earth. So how does he try and rob us of our identity? By what people say. Words are very powerful. By what people say. The enemy will try and use what people say over you to rob you of your identity. By peer pressure. Everybody's doing it. If you've been a parent... You've had a 13 or 14 year old child that says, we're not coming into our pasture on Friday and Saturday morning. Is that alright? It is alright. It is not alright. Oh, past two. You will be in front past ten. Well, everybody else is doing it. Right. Everybody else's mum and dad says it's alright. Peer pressure. Don't underestimate how peer pressure tries to define you in a particular way and rob you of your identity. To merge you into the crowd. And then popular culture seeks to rob us of our identity. And it tries to sort of take away from us what we are intended to be. And then the power of the enemy seeks to rob us of our identity. And so we could go on. All these things are fraudulent in the spiritual realm. To seek to define us to be less than what God has destined us to be. 
And I don't care whether you're 13 or 14 tonight or 64, 74, 84. You need to see this for what it is. And you need to come to a place of living in your identity. In 1 Peter chapter 2, just before we come to the verses, let me give you a little bit of context. Because, again, different message to this morning, but the language here is of construction and buildings. And Jesus Christ is described as the chief cornerstone. Now, it won't surprise you to know that I don't know too much about buildings. Christian's fantastic. Steve Holmes is fantastic. Paul Stokesman. Neil Simpson. In fact, you know, they're around the table sometimes talking about roofs and eaves and all things and this and that, you know. And I'm sort of looking as I know what they're talking about, you know. And uh, so that's great, guys. Let's go for it. Yeah, let's go for it. Buildings. But the court, I know, you know, a little bit about the need for foundations and decent walls and but these guys are really, really good. Thank God for team. Amen. Amen. But you can delegate things to people. And when you don't have a clue about something, somebody else bobs up and he's brilliant at yeah. it. You know, fantastic. But he talks about the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone joins together the walls. It's absolutely brings a uniting of the walls. It's pivotal, it's indispensable, and it's fundamental to the well-being of a building. And in these earlier verses in Peter, he says that some people reject the cornerstone. See, we think that it's our problem to convince everybody. It's our job to proclaim. The convincing is the work of the Spirit. And some people take offense at the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't take it to yourself. Don't, be, don't let it be personalized. And he says that most people look upon Jesus and reject him. And he's a rock of offense. But to those that believe, he is precious. Yeah. He is precious. See, people can say to me whatever they like about Jesus. He's precious to me. Yeah. He's the most precious person in all the world. Because I've come to a revelation that he invaded the world in the love of God. And gave himself completely for me as we celebrated last Sunday. Arose again the third day and lifts uh, at the Father's right hand and is shed forth the Spirit into the earth to give power for Christians to be followers of Him in the 21st century. To those that believe, He's precious. And this is why in Arena Church we continue to preach Christ. It's why we praise Jesus Christ, the band of letters tonight. And it's why we call people to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is still changing people's lives. He's still breaking into people's lives in amazing, amazing ways. And I want to say tonight that it's in Him that we truly find our true identity. There are over 140 references in the Bible to being in Christ. And you can rest easy, we're not going to go through them all tonight. Just 138 of them. But, but, but so, there's 140 plus references. You see, your identity is not in your job. How many conversations go like this? Hi, hi. I'm Phil. Yeah, I'm John. What do you do for a living, John? I'm a builder. Oh, I'm not another one. You know, but, but I'm an engineer. I mean, the conversation killer when you're on a plane is, what do you do for a job? I'm a pastor. All oh, right, okay. Because yeah. the thing they've got you for, you've got them for the next three or four hours. All oh, right, you know. I'm a church minister. Yeah, okay, you know. 
But so often we seek that out dead so that when people, for whatever reason, are unemployed, what do you do for them? Identities diminished. Because oh, God doesn't love us at the same. Could be a, a multitude, a myriad of reasons why people are unemployed. But the world tells us that our identity is what is what we do. What do you do for a job? Oh, well, we dustman. Well, thank God for dustman. Yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, if they didn't collect our rubbish, you know, we'd be in a right mess. Yeah. Every job's got its dignities. Yeah, absolutely. You know? But the world says, oh, well, we, this is a great thing. Oh, yeah, you've really got identity. It's not found in a job. It's not found in your family. I'll come back to that in a moment because your family might have a dubious history. You know, your identity is not found in them. It's not found in your postcode. NGA5NE. Go on Google Map it tonight and sort of send messages, but that's my postcode. A very, very ordinary working class sprawling housing estate on the edge of Nottingham, wrong side, not West Bridgeford, we're in Duke with all the posh right? The other side. Setting down this to seven kids from the council state. There's no earthly reason I should be here tonight. But God stepped in. Yeah. He says, you are not defined by NG85NE. You are in me. Yeah. And when you give your life in me, anything's possible. Yeah. Anything. You are not defined by your past. Be that good, bad, or indifferent. You are not defined by your nation. I'll come to it later. We're English. We're Christian. Christian nation, you know. Well, out of 64.1 million people in our nation today, friends, 58 million haven't been to church. We've got a big task on our hands. You are not defined by the colour of your skin. None of these things define us, but people forever want to define us by these things. And when we don't think they're good, we think we're bad. And yet God loves us anyway. And increasingly, friends, our identity needs to be set unto him. You see, it's only when you try, it's only when you find your true identity in Jesus that you're positioned to fulfill your destiny. What do I mean by destiny? Your purpose on the earth. Everybody here tonight has got a God-given purpose. You'll never find it if you're struggling to know who you really are. About two years ago, our Miriam spoke at a um, <clears throat> Saturday morning meeting that we occasionally run called an encounter morning. Just an opportunity for a little bit of the word to be shared and for people just to pray. And been three or four powerful mornings. And she talked a little bit about this theme and I just sort of went back to my notes this week as I was preparing. And she reminded us that when we know who he is, we can know who we are. When our identity comes from our position in Christ, we can find our position on the earth. And our identity shows to us that we're loved of the Lord. Now, it will, as I said at the beginning, be contested for. The enemy does not want any of us to be the living stones that become bound together, built up to be a spiritual house. And so we need to be aware of the importance of confession and mindset. My family was never much anyway. I come from a line of alcoholics. There's always been divorce in our family. Our family's always been in debt. 
You know, and it goes on and on and on and on and on. And more than perhaps any other principle, we need to allow this truth of identity to be defined by what the Word of God says. What the Word of God says about us, what the Word of God says over us, and what the Word of God says for us. And then we embrace it in faith. And so we come back to our verses. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy. But now you have received mercy. These verses, friends, were breathtaking in their reach and scope. Let me try and explain why. Peter was a Jew, of course, called from the North Galilee to follow Jesus Christ as one of his disciples. And his specific apostolic mandate was to reach out to his own people. Paul reaching the Gentiles, Peter reaching the Jews. It's the strands that work through the growth of the New Testament church. But here is blowing all that off the gates. He is not saying I am defined by my ethnicity or by my nationality. He is talking here to scattered people all across the known world at that time from different people groups and defining them as the priests of God, the holy nation of the Lord, the people that have been called to him and have received mercy. And it is absolutely incredible. You see, through the power of the cross, friends, something incredible took place that blew open any opportunity for people to boast in where they came from on this earth to be formed by what they are in Jesus Christ. So four things very briefly. Number one, we're a chosen people. Now, theologians have got themselves in a right pickle about this word over the years. Let me just try and explain a little bit. So, the truth of election in the sovereign purposes of God has exercised people for a lifetime. I simply believe that sovereignty and responsibility are interwoven. The saved are the elect, and whosoever will may come. And the thought of being chosen, friends, does bring the thought of specialness, security, and significance. But I don't believe in limited atonement for those of you that like your theology. It's the L of Thule. I don't believe that Jesus just came for some and not for everybody. And let me read from somebody that would have a different persuasion to me but believes the same. Someone, however, may object to my stress on free will and ability to bring judgment on ourselves on the grounds that it undermines the doctrine of predestination. You didn't think you wanted to get this on a Sunday night, did you? But here we go. My reply would be that one ought to undermine that kind of teaching, which says that God rigidly predestines that certain people should be saved and certain people should be damned. Amen from me. There is, of course, in the New Testament, a doctrine of election. But it is a way of stressing that salvation is an act of God's gracious initiative. 
And Christians have always felt that salvation comes to them not so much because they choose it, but because God, out of sheer grace, came and lovingly laid hold of them. But the New Testament does not teach the parallel idea that other men are predestined by God to eternal damnation. Thus says the Lord. See, our job, friends, not to work out over some cosy coffee at Starbucks whether your mate's predestined by God to be elected and so you don't really need to tell him the gospel because God will do it anyway. Your job, friends, is just to get it out there and leave it with the Lord. And there is a collision of God's sovereignty and our responsibility in bringing together the purposes of the Lord. So some people get saved and it just seems sovereign. There was a great leader once that got born again. He had never been to church. He had never heard the message of the gospel. And he had never understood what it meant to be born again. And at university, he walked into a church one day a cathedral type church and he cried out to God and God met him right there he was born again and God's spirit became a great apostolic leader other people I word you've got a jack arrow into an anthony 35, 40, 50, 60 times we've got a great couple in our church now they went to an alpha five times before they got it right. Right. and somehow it brought a response from them it works together it works together. But please don't be sitting around trying to work out who's, who's going to get saved and who isn't. It's not our job. Our job, friends, is to scatter the seeds and to leave it with the Lord. But if you're in Jesus tonight, you're chosen. Yeah. You're special. Yeah. You're significant yeah. to Him. He's come to you. Yeah. He's responded to your aching heart. You're reaching out to the Lord. However He's done it, that He's reached into your world and He's blessed you. And if you have never come to Jesus, Christian's going to give an opportunity in a few moments to respond. God wants to say tonight, you're chosen of him. He's got a plan for your life. And if you just respond to him tonight as the invitation comes, who knows what God can do? See, I'm more convinced than ever, friends, forgive this one word, but of the redemptive power of the good news. We think, oh yeah, I'll put my hand up, God's sake. But the ability for God to get on of your life and completely change it is incredible. Absolutely I've seen people, friends, that before they became Christians, are they ever went to school with university degrees. I've seen people, friends, that thought they had no gifts, also realised they're multi-gifted. And I've seen people with their heads down, thinking they're nothing, realising they're something. Because the gospel, the good news, changes people and brings them to a place of identity. So you're chosen. And then we're a royal priesthood, briefly. Arena Church believes in quotes in the priesthood of all believers. It means that every one of us have got a role in the church. Now God raises up men and women for specific purposes. He sometimes calls people vocationally to Christian ministry. But they're not the stop at the end of Christian ministry. We're all in Christian ministry. Finding our place of service a ministry, a mission to express the body of Christ into the earth. So I didn't realise I was a priest. You're a priest. You don't have to wear a hat or a robe. You're a priest unto God. A royal priesthood. It's amazing. And then we're a holy nation. Very distinctive language. The New Testament Christian church is a holy nation. 
Not a particular nation, friends. Hear me. I'm not going there tonight. But we're a holy nation. So I don't feel very holy. Well, none of us do at times. When you think about a holy God, a perfect, holy, sinless, righteous God. The psalmist says, Lord, if you should mark our sins, who could But here's the encouragement. Theologians talk about holiness in two ways. Firstly, positional holiness. You are holy. Isn't that fantastic? The moment you got saved, with all of your baggage, still swearing a bit, still watching a few things you should still losing your temper because you're on a journey, but God says you're holy. Positionally, you are holy. I don't have time to open the Bible the scriptures tonight, but believe me, you are holy. Positionally. But then also the Bible talks, Hebrews 10 10 is a verse if you want it. So you are holy. What a starting point. It's not about you calling, curling yourself up in the ball, turning over New Year's resolutions. You've done it 17 times since January or in April now. It's still not working. Try to be holy. It's impossible. You are holy. Positionally. God looks upon you as a holy people. Positional holiness. But then he talks about progressive holiness. Because it also talks about you are to be holy. This is a lifetime's journey. Another verse for it is sanctification. You ought to become more and more like Jesus. It's being a disciple. This happens step by step, little by little. You come on a Sunday night. Christian preaches a great message. He speaks right into your heart about something. You get before God and say, God, I really want you to deal with that in my heart. And he deals with it. And you get the victory of it. And you go to the next thing. Yeah. And the next thing. Yeah. And the next. And all of a sudden you find yourself becoming a mature believer living in victory. You are holy, but you are to be holy. Do we all get it wrong at times? Of course we do. We live in a fallen world. We were inundated with things that would war against our inner life in Jesus. But friends, when you continually press into this, you'll find yourself increasingly living an overcoming life. Our citizenship is of heaven. Our passport has been stamped by the death and life of Jesus Christ. And we have access into all that it provides for us, a holy people. I love the thought of holiness, friends. I know people have legalized it at times. They've diminished it and made it negative. You know, even today in certain parts of the world, about all the guys turning up with black suits on, white shirts, black ties. You know, this is sort of like a a, a pseudo-holiness. Nothing to do with it. But God has called us to be holy. And the only thing that God talks about in the New Testament with regard to holiness is people. Not holy days, not holy tables, not holy cups, not holy lands. Never mentioned in all of the New Testament. The only thing he calls to be holy is people. Because he is passionate about people. He's not passionate about tables and lands. He's passionate about finding a people in the earth that will live like him. Because when they do, they'll change the world forever. They'll change the world forever. And we run to all the things that don't matter, rather than focusing on the thing that does. It's our identity. And finally, we're a special people, a peculiar people. Don't mean that. Don't mean that. Don't mean, you know, being odd or strange or weird. 
it means specialness. It's another understanding of the word in the English vocabulary. Peculiar. And you are special to that. One, the end of 1 Corinthians 1 says, you're God's treasure chest. Yeah. It comes to the things that are not, the weak things, the despised things. The things that other people say are rubbish. He says, no, I can get hold of you. You're my, you're my treasure chest. He says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 that we're his workmanship. And the verse literally means his masterpiece. We're his masterpiece. And he holds us and shapes us and he puts a little bit more colour on the canvas. And here he tells us that we're special to him. Can you see why this word's contested for? Because when you get a revelation of this, it will help you to live in such a secure relationship with God. It'll be unbreakable. Be absolutely unbreakable. Once you are not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you've not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Identity. Don't let it be stolen. Don't let it be stolen by anything or anyone. Really, tonight, the flesh, see yourself as what you really are so that you can be all that God meant you to be. He says tonight, you're chosen. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. And you're special to God. Yeah. Let's live in that identity.